Good morning, Midland Free. Gotcha. You paying attention? Anyone know what this is yet? No. This is the early crew. I'm hoping in the next service they'll really get this. There was a women's ministry event uh, just the other night. It was entitled Anchored. Very good. This was one of the arts and crafts that came out of it. I was trying to give a little product placement there. It's very expensive, by the way, to get product placement in our pulpit time, just so you know. But anyways, welcome to Midland Free. My name is Jeremy. I'm glad you're here. Excited to worship with you today. We are continuing our series in the book of James. That is, Jesus's half-brother wrote a letter, and it's a book that's in the Bible. And uh, we are taking a look at it to uh, enhance our love and relationship with God and with others as well. So we'd like to invite you on that journey with us. Also, before I forget, this Friday night, there is a class that I'll be teaching at, I think, 6 or 6.30, something like that. I'm here all day. I don't know. But it starts sometime in the evening on Friday and uh, ends sometime in the evening on Friday night. And so we'd invite you to come and uh, be a part of that. We're going to talk about how to share your faith. And it's really the desire is just to make you feel confident in that and to give you the joy of that so that you can be successful. And by successful, we don't mean every single um, pitch is a clincher, but we mean that you're up to bat and swinging away and doing the best you can for the glory of God. So I want to invite you out to that on Friday night. But today, we look at James chapter 1, beginning in verse 19. And the way I'll break it down is this, basically three sections. James is conversational slash, you know, uh, oratory or preaching style is very um, punch, punch, punchy. And so it's not always like Paul, which is very linear and logical. Sometimes you'll have a statement at the top and then you'll have a statement at the bottom and those will match and there'll be a lot of stuff in between. But what I'm doing today is kind of phenotizing or assimilating all that data and bringing it together and then uh, wrapping it hopefully neatly for you. But here's how uh, the structure I see in this passage goes. There are basically three main points and I'll give you these points and then I'll read the text and then we'll walk through them together. But the three points basically are this. Um, I would say it like this. Humbly receive, humbly adjust, and then humbly help. Humbly receive, humbly adjust, and then humbly help. And this is what I think the Apostle James is trying to get through this text this morning. So let's go ahead and read that. I invite you to turn in your Bibles or you can look up on the screen. We also have blue Bibles in the back. If you uh, didn't bring one, you're welcome to use one. And if you don't have one, you're welcome to keep one. So this is James chapter 1, verse 19. It says this. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, 
He's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and preserve and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he or this one will be blessed in his doing. Now, if anyone thinks he's religious, but does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The first point I want to walk you through is humbly receive, and said a bit more extensively, I would say it like this, humbly receive rather than hotly combust. Humbly receive rather than hotly combust. Why? Well, you probably have some practical experience that backs up what James is saying, but the text is rather clear. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. It just doesn't work that way. Now, we need to distinguish before we talk about anger very clearly what is uh, human anger and divine anger. And the two are very different. In this text, it says the anger of man and the righteousness of God. In other places in Scripture, it talks about the wrath of God. And we come to this text not looking for excuses for our own anger, but instead to distinguish that which is righteous and that which is sinful. So what I want to do is walk you through basically the ABCs of anger. I came up with this this morning. Ready? A is for anger. B is for a better way. And C is for cultivating, cultivating the seed. So A is for anger, B the better way, and C for cultivating. So here's the ABCs. Let's begin with human anger. Ecclesiastes says this, Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the hearts of fools. If you look through Scripture, you'll see a number of different examples of that. You have Simeon and Levi and how they avenged their sister when she was raped. And you will see Saul and how he uh, responded when God chose another king. And you will see Jonah and what happens to him when he gets mad about a plant that God gave him for shade. There are a number of different examples as you walk your way through Scripture. They'll say, this is what not to do. It's kind of funny, by the way. Here's an aside. Some people always say, oh, you know, the Bible, it's an instruction manual or whatever else. Well, the Bible's a book, and it's a real book, and it shows both the good, the bad, the ugly. (laughs) There's some stuff in here that you're like, yeah, do that. And there's other stuff It's just like, no, no, no. Don't do that. This is, pre- or this is descriptive rather than prescriptive. This is just showing you what humanity is like, which you already know, but the Bible is not um, some wishy-washy, feel-good, sentimental book. The Bible is something that's rooted in reality. So here are some miserable flops and horrible failures, but you probably don't even have to go to the good book to find that. You can probably look, if you're anything like me, at your own life and say, yep, there is a time I messed up. That's another time I got mad that I shouldn't have. There's a time I responded poorly to my children. I overreacted. I didn't treat my wife as quite as sweetly as I promised at the very beginning. And on and on the list goes. Hey, we're human, right? 
And perhaps some of you are very good at controlling your anger, but I'm a red-blooded male who likes to eat meat, lift weights, chop wood, and shoot guns. (laughs) And so anger comes pretty natural to me at times. And not only anger, but also passion, right? There's this testosterone that drives you as a male, and you feel it, and you burn inside of you. And this is natural and good, and it can be used for positive things. But the problem is, is when you let it get out of control, it is like a wildfire that consumes everything in its midst. God has given you desire, and you fight desire with desire. You direct those passions in the right way, and they're good. And you will see as we compare these two things, there's the wrath of God, which is wonderful and great. And then there's the anger of humanity, which is sinful and wrong. And those two things are held up in dire contrast to each other. So look at your own life and then see how this works for you. But let me say this. Most of the time, most of the time, human anger is sinful. Not all the time. Sometimes you get it right. But most of the time, it is not good. Human anger has all kinds of problems associated with it. Um, I want to read you a couple of those that I wrote down. If you're looking at this in life groups, you can brainstorm together some examples that you might have. But here's some things that go wrong with human anger. Human anger is generally directed uh, towards someone uh, outside of yourself. I'll explain that in a little bit. It's often out of control. It's protecting one's own interest. It is retained indefinitely. It often comes in outburst. It causes harm. It grows with time. It is destructive. It increases sin. It wounds. It makes things unresolvable. It is arbitrary and capricious. It harms the innocent. It often embarrasses the wielder of it, and it brings shame. Those are some of the things that are associated with human anger. But now as you think about divine anger, and what I hope to show you in the next few texts, is that the divine anger, or the wrath, better said, the wrath of God, is the exact opposite of that. So where human anger is often directed at other people, divine anger is directed at sin. Where human anger is out of control, divine anger is always completely measured and under perfect control. Intentional, disciplined, surgical. Where human anger is concerned for the self, divine anger is looking to protect the victims. That's why God in the Old Testament is always saying orphans and widows and vulnerable and yada, yada, yada. He's protecting the innocent. That's the opposite of human anger. We are often concerned with protecting our own interest. God is protecting the vulnerable. Our anger we retain, we bottle it up, we hold on to it, where God's anger, Scripture says, is short-lived. Our anger is is outburst. God is surgical in his strikes. Our anger causes harm. God's wrath causes good. Our anger is destructive. God's anger is corrective. Destructive versus corrective. Our anger increases sin. God's anger eliminates sin. Our anger wounds. God's anger wounds to heal. 
Our anger makes things unresolvable, and God's anger resolves things. Our anger is arbitrary and capricious. God's anger is fair and unbiased. Our anger harms the innocent. God's preserves. Our anger embarrasses us. God's anger brings glory to him. The exact opposite. Our anger brings shame. God's wrath brings glory to himself. They're totally and completely different. Line them up side by side. Come up with your own list. Pros, cons, columns, whatever. But compare the anger of God versus the anger of humanity. Now, saying that, I want to be clear. When you begin to read the text, then what you will see is that God is described in Psalm 711. So first I want to go through God's anger, then I'll go through ours more specifically in the text. God is described as a righteous judge who feels indignation every single day. Every day, God feels indignation. So what does that mean? Do we have an angry God? Or is there a difference between the Old Testament God and the New Testament God? These are two different gods. One is the vindictful killer and the nice lovey-dovey Jesus. Is that who we have? What happens is this. God's indignation is always righteous and in response to sin. And so, yes, he feels this every day because we sin and there is sin every day. But as you pursue this, what you see in the Old Testament, I think in the New, and someone, you are welcome to look this up and challenge me on this. I have searched. I can't find any other examples. The only examples I can find are when the Bible refers to the anger of God. In other words, it never says the angry God. It always says the anger of God. And the difference is there, God possesses it. It doesn't possess him. Do you see what I'm saying? It is always God's anger that he chooses to wield whenever he wants at the right moment and then puts it down when he's done with it. It is not something that grabs a hold of him and makes him do what it wants. He controls it. It is the anger of God. So you do not serve, although he feels indignation every day, you do not serve an angry God, one who walks around like this, but you serve a righteous judge who possesses anger and chooses to wield it whenever he wants. Every single day. And that's actually, believe it or not, an encouragement and an assurance to us. How many of you, don't raise your hands, have ever felt wronged? How many of you have ever experienced injustice? Been on the losing end of something? You want things to be made right. You want someone else who is more powerful than you to be bothered by it and to act. That is God. And that's why you can say, I don't have to return evil for evil. Instead, vengeance is God's. He will repay. I'll let him take care of it because I know he is a righteous judge who feels indignation every day and I don't have to avenge myself. God will get her done. He's not untouched. He doesn't walk away and not feel this. He feels my pain. He feels my hurt. He feels the wrong here and he will respond every single day because he is righteous. Vengeance is God's. And if I try to take vengeance, what kind of loser move is that? Do you think I can actually accomplish vengeance as effectively as God himself can? He's so much more powerful, so much more scary, so much bigger than I. 
Even if I commanded all the armies of the world, I still couldn't do a better job of taking vengeance than he. So let him do what he's much better at than me. Vengeance is his. And don't worry about it then when you're wronged, because God will take care of it. He gets angry, but in a measured way. So God can be said not to be an angry God, but to be a righteous God who possesses anger. So then this is how he says it of himself. As I try to say it one way, listen to it another. Deuteronomy says it uh, when uh, Moses is being warned by God to warn his people uh, how to behave. He says, hey, take care lest you forget the Lord. It is the Lord God you shall fear. If you're afraid of anything, be afraid of this. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God is in your midst and is a jealous God. He is jealous for his own glory. Lest the anger of belonging possessed by the Lord be kindled against you and he destroy you from the face of the earth. Hey, and if you need some examples, there are some, guys. By the way, do you remember the flood? How did that go? God was gracious, and he saved Noah and his family, but for the rest, not so great. Don't make him mad. Sodom and Gomorrah, how did they turn out? Lot's wife, when she looked back, listen, pay attention. God is a righteous judge, and if you offend him, you do risk condemnation. Just ask Korah and their rebellion and see what happened in Numbers chapter 16. The ground opens up and swallows them and a plague is unleashed to destroy the people. And the only reason they're not blotted out is because Aaron, the priest, serves as an intermediary, just like Jesus will, and stops the plague. There's all kinds of examples of God's righteous judgment and wrath in Scripture. And it's real. God hates sin and he will obliterate it from the face of the earth. That is God the Father. Now, let us not make the incredible error of assuming God the Son is any different. God the Son is the exact same way. The exact same way. 100% in every way. Beginning, at the very beginning of his ministry, Jesus unveils his anger. Mark chapter 3, verse 5 says this. He looked around at them, what? With anger. Grieved at what? That he lost the poker game or they didn't like his favorite football team? No. What is he mad at? Sin. The hardness of their hearts. He doesn't care about himself or his own interest. He's mad that these are sinners. Jesus is upset. He's angry. So he is angry. Well, is that, that must be the only time. No, I think there was a little incident in the temple where he brought out a weapon and started chasing people and destroying anything in his way. That's actually characteristic of Christ, and there's promises that he will do that again. The exact same thing. I'll show you in a minute. In the temple, he comes out and cleans house, literally. John chapter 2, early in his ministry. Then there are those who reject him in John chapter 3, verse 36. This is cute. I think you'll like this. Uh, we always quote John three sixteen because we want to, you know, put the forgiveness message out front. But Jesus puts them and pairs them right together and says, hey, you know what? Whoever believes, you know, John three sixteen, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, whosoever believes, not perish, but have everlasting life. Woohoo! Not the end. John three thirty six. 
Same breath, same conversation, same red letters, same guy. Whoever believes, that's what he said earlier. Now, here's the other side of the coin. And the Son has eternal life. We said that. Got it? Right. Good. Whoever does not obey the Son, uh-oh, shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. Boom. That's heavy. Let that sink in. Do you know what you're praying when you're praying, come Lord Jesus? Do you know what you're praying when you pray, come Lord Jesus? Let me show you. Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. Then I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. Yes, we like that part. Yes, here he comes. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true. Amen. Keep going. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. As God told you back in Deuteronomy, he's a righteous judge. And that's Jesus. His eyes are like a flame of fire. He is clothed in a robe dipped in strawberries? Blood. And the name by which he's called is the word of God. And the what? Fairies? The armies of heaven arrayed in fine white linen were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes what? Cute cuddly poems? A sharp sword to strike down the nations. And he rules them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God. And on his thigh, he's got this giant tattoo that says his name is written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's a little bit different picture than what I'm used to, right? We want Jesus. Jesus, the conquering king, kicking butt, hero of the world. Amen? That's Jesus. He judges and makes war. He possesses wrath and makes all things well. Why? Because people agree with him when he comes back? No. But he takes care of them when they don't. He's a God who possesses anger. He's a righteous judge who feels indignation every day. This is why the Jews missed him, friends. They were looking for this. The first time he came wasn't for that. The first time was to give his life a ransom for many so that he could give you a chance to be forgiven. But the second time, there's no second chances. And he comes back, here's what happens. The Jews were looking for this, and they're looking at the Jesus that we know, and they're saying, well, he, he was killed. He didn't kill anybody. What's going on? That doesn't add up. And what happens is they missed the multi-phased process of God's plan. But here it is. Jesus is high and lifted up, not because everyone agrees with him, but because he defeats all his enemies, anyone who doesn't. He's a righteous judge. So there is the anger of God and the anger of man. And this is why they are quite different. And I hope that... um, When you experience or feel anger, you will process it internally and say, is this righteous indignation that I feel towards sin or is this sinful anger that I feel towards another person? And those are very different things. Now, I've just given you a list of stuff, but I also want to show you this too. Uh, Here's a quote. I think it says it better than I could. Uh, Despite 
this catalog of awful displays of God's anger, the other side of the picture is equally as striking. When God's people repent from their sin and place their trust in him, God turns aside his anger and brings mercy, compassion, and blessing. For behold, the Lord your God is a jealous God, but he is a gracious and compassionate God as well. Thus, the imagery of the power and wrath that is so frequently associated with God is penultimate or next to last to his ultimate image as one who is gentle and merciful. Our God is a great and awesome God in every way. When the Bible says to fear him, it means it, but in a good way. God is the one who can assure justice and make all things well. Because he possesses his anger and nothing else possesses him. So first of all, distinguish between the anger. This, this section I'm obviously spending more time on. But uh, the A of anger is to distinguish between it. To know the difference between righteous anger, God's anger, and human anger, our anger. That's point one. Point B, if you will, is a better way for us. A better way for us. And that is to listen uh, the text in verse 19, it's contrast, you know, s- slow to anger with this, being quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. So I'd like to, so I just gave you a theological and biblical expositional thing. I'd like to give you some practical tips as well. So there's two contrasts, two forms of anger. Now, Jeremy, in a normal conversation, I'm getting upset or a situation or whatever, how do I pull back or back off of my human sinful anger. Here are some tips. Uh, Number one is to listen. That's what James says. But that's also something we know from practical experience as well. And when I say listen, I mean really listen. (laughs) Okay? So moms are shaking their heads and teenagers are sitting all around or vice versa or whatever. Let me say this. Listening doesn't mean sitting there like this. (laughs) Waiting to kerpow get your sentence in that's not listening that's winding up okay listening means i actually get to the point where i can hear everything they're saying and say it back to them so well that not only will they agree with it but they'll say wow you said it better than i did you actually represented my argument better than i could have you argued for me better than i could have argued for myself that's right i think i understood you is that correct yes Okay, step one, I've understood. Listen, look, seek first to what? Understand rather than be understood. Go after it, listen, ask questions, real questions, not rhetorical questions, not loaded questions, not trapdoor questions, but real questions. You're assuming something in your mind, you're thinking this, ask them, hey, this is what I heard, this is the way I understood it is that accurate because there's so many potential pitfalls in that right this is what i heard oh sorry you didn't hear the second half of my sentence you were watching the football game at that time and you missed it (laughs) this is what i heard there's a corrective phase there this is how i understood it oh you're right that's that's what i said but i just totally blew it because this is actually what i meant I I said that. I just couldn't find the right words. I'm sorry. This is what I meant. Oh, good. We're still on the same page. This is what I 
heard. This is what I understood. And then is that accurate? Give them a chance to flesh it out. Give them a chance. Give them the benefit of the doubt. Don't commit a suicide, you know? Don't assume that you know everything that's going on in their heart and mind. There's only one person who does, and guess who that is? Jesus. So that's why he can get mad (laughs) at what they're saying or what they're thinking, because he knows it. But even as much as you think you do, you don't. So back off. Give them the benefit of the doubt and ask some questions. When you do, you might be surprised. You might come into information that you didn't have before. And that can help you move forward in this difficult situation. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Man, yeah, I'd feel that way too. Whoa, that's something. Ask questions. So number one is listen. Or sorry, B is listen. Really listen. Ask questions. Take your time. Slow down. You know what? This is a difficult situation. It's probably not going to be resolved like this. You'd like to. But the reality is the best thing for you is to step back and take some time. You know, hang on. I'm not saying ignore it and let it go away. But we need to slow this train down because it's going too fast. Slow down. Hang on. Take some time. And then as you do, as you listen, as you take some time, you can process things. And then you can begin to pray about it and examine yourself. When I say pray, I mean really pray. Like, not just like, okay... God, will you please obliterate this person? All right, ready to go. <laughs> no. It's like, Lord, please, I, do I respond to this or do I not? Ah, I don't want to sit in silence if it's sin because I know you want sin addressed, but is that sin or is that, do I? Pray, pray hard. I mean, pray like the whole time. And then even before you talk, you ask those questions. You know what I find? So as you ask those questions, Things come out, and then it's your practical opportunity. And sometimes you don't even have to say anything. You ask the questions, and they're like, well, yeah, I guess I shouldn't have blah, 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 blah. You're like, oh, good. (laughs) I don't even have to say anything. You just admitted exactly what I was concerned about, and so let's talk about it and go on. I might even say that hurt me. That actually hurt. I kind of have to humble myself to say that because I want to be a guy. and say, (laughs) didn't feel nothing. Not good. No. Uh, That hurt my feelings. I have feelings too. <laughs> Sometimes they hurt. Even though I'd rather not admit it, they're there. They're there. That hurt. Sorry. Yep, you're right. That hurt me. I have to get there. Slow down. Listen. Ask questions. Admit it. Fess up. Even if you're the toughest guy in the world, there could be something that hurts your feelings. And then examine yourself. You know what? We all make mistakes, right? And it's not enough to say, I'm, no, I'm not perfect. That says nothing. <laughs> Everybody knows you're not perfect, <laughs> okay? I know you're not perfect. I know I'm not perfect. My kids know I'm not perfect. Next service, my sons will be sitting in that row. I got two little doses of humility right there, <laughs> you know? I got to preach this sermon about anger and responding well. <laughs> then I got to go home and deal with misbehavior and whatever else. <sighs> right? Everybody's not perfect. That's no, that's no confession whatsoever. That means nothing. You need to say, I sinned by doing this. And spell it out directly and clearly. I sinned by saying these four words in a tone that was inappropriate. Yeah, yeah it might have been the right words. I shouldn't have said it like that. Blah! 
Oops, sorry, that came out too strong. That really did. I shouldn't have said it like that. I sin by. Not, I'm not perfect. Yeah, I know I'm not perfect, but just about. <laughs> no. I sinned by. I hurt you when. Fill in the blank. I'm sorry for. Specific. So examine yourself. Listen, listen. This is what it means to listen. Listen doesn't mean just sit there and go, okay, my turn, boom. Listen means I'm going to fully understand everything you have to say. I'm going to genuinely examine myself. I'm going to pray about it. And at the end of the day, I'm willing to confess if it turns out I did something wrong. Listen. It's a big word right there. Listen. So ABCs of anger. Anger, God's ours, listening is a better way, B. And C, cultivating the seed. C, cultivating the seed. Um, The scriptures here give us an image, so I don't even have to come up with my own illustration. They give me one. And their illustration is this. Um, Back in chapter 1, you'll see this in verse 21. It says, therefore... Put away all filthiness and rampart wickedness and receive with meekness, that's the listening, see, with, weak, with meekness, not with stubbornness, not with hard-heartedness, with meekness, what? The implanted word. Now look, their science and ours is a bit different, but they knew how to plant something and they knew when a seed was fertilized and they knew about how things worked, i.e. the birds and the bees. And we do as well, and we're even getting pretty fancy about it, trying to do it on our own, but at the end of the day, there's an image coming up here of an unfertilized egg. That is what this scripture is portraying. And it says, with the scripture, your heart is like that unfertilized egg, and if the Bible goes into it, boom, and you receive it meekly, that will save your soul. If your heart is tender and you receive the word of God, explosion and fruit comes forth. That's the biblical imagery. Now, on the other hand, however, if you are hard and your soil doesn't work, then something else happens. And um, that is in the next section. Yeah, actually, it's just a little bit before, in verse 15, and it says this, um, each person is lured, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire, and when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. So there's two very different images here. One is the positive, that is when your heart is soft and you receive the word of God and you're open to teaching, instruction, and correction and righteousness, you receive it and you change. But if your heart is hard and you say, I'm not going to hear this, I'm not going to listen, I know I'm not perfect, but I'm mad and so I'm not going to, then all of a sudden that desire takes root and implants that seed and boom, bursts forth and when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Now look at the contrast there. Evil desire that's planted brings forth what? What? Death. Now, when the word which is implanted with meekness is able to what? Save your souls. 
There's death and there's life. Which one do you want? It's a pretty clear image. Your heart is a unfertilized egg. Depending on what goes into it, determines what comes out. If you harden up and get angry and say nothing's coming in, then that desire takes root and explodes and you die. But if you say, I'm willing to be humble and receive and adjust, then the word of God can speak into you and you will change and you'll bear fruit. So, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Anger, God's versus human. A better way is to listen and finally cultivate, that is, receive the seed. So in other words, I think the way I would say this is, humbly receive, that is, humbly receive the seed rather than hotly combust. Humbly receive rather than than hotly combust. Humbly receive rather than hotly combust. That's point one. Now points two and three will obviously go much quicker than that. Point two is this, humbly adjust. Humbly adjust. The image that's given here is that of a mirror, which I've been talking to guys a lot about anger this morning, but I bet there's a lot of people who'd like to elbow their husband or significant other at this point and say, yeah, a mirror. (laughs) You know what that is, buddy? (laughs) Try looking in one sometime, you know. It would help. A mirror is something you use to make adjustments. You look into it and you say, oh, that hair is out of place. Maybe I ought to fix it. But what a fool would we be, which actually some of us are, if we look into the mirror and say, ah, who cares, whatever. (laughs) No big deal. (laughs) Doesn't bother me. I'm good. We got married a long time ago. (laughs) Got nothing to impress here. (laughs) It's just me. There's the mirror, right? But the idea here is that you look into it, you receive it, and you make the adjustment that's necessary. Don't ignore it and go away. So point one is humbly receive rather than hotly combust. And point two, which is parallel, humbly adjust rather than coolly go away. Did you get that? Hotly combust, coolly go away. It's it's supposed to rhyme a little too. I don't know. I'm trying, folks. Come on. Number one, humbly receive rather than hotly combust. Number two, humbly adjust rather than coolly go away. Because you're not cool. Look in the mirror. You'll know pretty quick. (laughs) Coolly, indifferent. That's what I mean, like um, nonchalant. And finally, number three, it says humbly help rather than slyly comply. Point three is humbly help rather than slyly comply. You know the difference between real compliance and nominal compliance, and so does God. Now, let's not fool ourselves. We're pretty good at keeping the rules and making things look nice on the surface, but Jesus, who knows your heart, sees right through that. And so he can come just to you just like he did the Jews and say, yeah, you're really good at those sacrifices. I'm impressed, all those services. Wow, you go to church three days a week. Good for you. Pay your taxes, wear a suit. Very impressive. I don't care. He doesn't care one little bit. That's not real religion. And in fact, what he's doing here, when he says the word religion, we're thinking, wow, so are you saying my faith is futile? No, what he's referring to is a Jewish cultural context where religion is a specific ceremony and rites. So like he says to Samuel in the Old Testament, you know, I don't, I'm not interested in your sacrifices. What I want to know about is your heart. 
This is covenantal language, and you need to understand as a New Testament believer that a covenant is not just a dry contract like, okay, you do this, I do this. But a covenant is much more like your marriage covenant where you say, I love you, and I'm committed to you, and I'm going to sacrifice myself on your behalf, and it's not what I want but what you want, and I don't care what comes, be it sickness or health or whatever, I'm there. Man, and if you're in a wheelchair and turn into a vegetable, I'm the guy pushing you down the aisle. Done. That's what a covenant is. So Jesus is looking at these guys saying, I don't care about all your stupid works. I want you to love me. Where's that selfless sacrifice and commitment? You know, uh, your, your sacrifices, they stink. They're supposed to be a sweet-smelling aroma, but they're a stench. I don't want that. I want you to love me. Do you know how much you can get away with if you love someone? <laughs> it's great. <laughs> you can do just about anything you want <laughs> if they know that you really love them. You can get away with a lot. You really can. In fact, I even tell my kids that. I'm like, you know what, guys? <laughs> you know, it's funny. We got all these rules, and sometimes we'll come in the house, and I'm like, oh, that's rule 642. <laughs> you know what I mean? I can't tell you all the rules. I can't tell you, like, don't spill milk, don't spill coffee, don't spill juice, don't spill... No. But you know what? You can spill anything you want if you're actually going to get that cup of water for your brother or sister. I don't care. If you were helping somebody else, and if you were loving them, Man, you guys, I would let you get away with just about anything. If you're playing well together and loving each other and having a good time and being nice, I'll part with that spot on the carpet and not even blink an eye. No big deal. I don't care. I don't. I just want you to love each other. Guess what God the Father says to us? Think I want all your rules? 640 whatever? I don't care. You know what I really want? I want you to love each other. If you're helping the orphan and the widow, if you're humbly helping, that makes a difference. If you love me, Jesus says, keep my commandments. But don't pretend to keep my commandments if you don't love me. That's an insult. Don't even bother. But if you really love me, then I want you to participate in this covenant by loving me with your heart and your soul and your mind, and your brothers and sisters, just as you love yourself. And you will sacrifice for them just like Jesus did for the church. Then I'll know, then I'll know that you truly love me. That's what I want. So humbly receive rather than hotly combust. Humbly adjust rather than coolly go away. Humbly help rather than slyly comply. What I'm saying to you is this, is covenant keeping, here's the theme, ready? It's at the very end today. Covenant keeping lovers of God humbly receive, adjust, and help. Covenant keeping lovers of God humbly receive, adjust, and help. That's what it means to be doers of the word and not hearers only. Because you can, you can, do all you want, and it doesn't matter if you don't love. Love God by receiving, adjusting, and helping. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. On these two hang all the law and the prophets. Father, you're a good and gracious God. There is none like you. We praise you for who you are.
Please help us, Lord, to adjust. It's difficult. There's hard things we don't want to hear. There's conversations we don't want to have. It's, we get hot. We get angry. Help us to process things as you would have it. Give us wisdom in the conflict so that what will take root in our heart is not the evil desire, but instead the implanted word that we receive with meekness. Help us to be like Jesus, willing to love and serve the least of these and stand up to and confront even the most powerful rulers on the planet. God, give us humility and courage so that we can give you all the honor and glory and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.